freaking out. This is Brock and Saul. Brock Ewart is my hero. James Euter just punched me in the kidney. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. We're going to cue you on the internet. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Saul. Hello! It was a fun Super Bowl ending. It didn't have a tremendous amount of Seattle connection. Right there, there weren't a lot of ex Seahawks in and around the game, coaches, etc. Yes, there was sort of the rooting interest against the Niners, but other than that, it didn't feel like there was necessarily a specific Seattle angle, Brock. But yeah, immediately following the game, perhaps you saw the picture, perhaps you saw mm-hmm. the little caption that went with it. Our very own J Rod Show Forty Four tweeting with a big picture of the celebration out on the field. I want to know what that feels like. Hashtag starving. <sighs> now, I can relate to hashtag starving. So I, I understand where he's coming from there. Clearly, he didn't have, you know, the chicken wings that I made yesterday mm-hmm. or the guac or anything else. Mm-hmm. But Julio saying, I want to know what that feels like. Starving. What'd you make of it? Yeah, Julio, so do your Mariners fans of 50 years. So do they. They want to know what that feels like. They want to know what an ALCS championship feels like. They want to know what a World Series feels like. They want to know what a celebration and a parade and as amazing and remarkable as that Seahawk parade was. And it was Mm -hmm. the biggest in the city's history, in in the sporting history of this town. I'm telling you, a Mariners title and a Mariners parade would would create a beast quake it would create you know there, there'd be even more there would be even more because of that desperation for how long it's been and just having not been to that mountaintop so i think your mariners fans all around julio did a lot of that clapping with you i am right there with you and you go be the centerpiece you stud and you star you go be the centerpiece to go get this done and yeah, from what I- you're hearing and from everything we have heard and jerry even mentioned He is in ridiculous shape to get this thing started. Yeah, I I want to get to that part in a moment because I I love the mentality from Julio. I love that that's what he's thinking is all that's going on. It never feels manufactured or PR, anything like that for Julio. Nope. But I would also say that Julio's as in charge of making that happen as anybody. And I, I know that generally when we talk about the Mariners, we're frustrated, understandably, and and I'm not taking away from the frustration with ownership. It would be easier for Julio to win a championship if they threw 20 more million dollars at the product. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. It would be easier for him if they acquired more big-name players around him, etc. But as they go into this season, they do have good pieces. They do. They've got one of the best pitching staffs, maybe the best pitching staff in the game. Certainly, if you include just the five starters in the back end of the bullpen, they're about as good as any other team in the league. I guess Atlanta, maybe the Dodgers could give them a run for their money, but they're going to be right there, right? I mean, they are tremendously well-suited to go deep with their pitching staff, Mm -hmm. and they've marginally improved the rest of their offense, but nothing would do more for them than Julio Rodriguez having an absolute monster season. And I'm not going to say he had a bad year last year. He didn't. But if you go back and really think about Julio's season, we spent a lot of time talking about it. He started off slow. Then it got a little bit worse during that time as he was getting ready for the All-Star game. And it felt like there was a lot of pressure on him 
right? To be the host, to be the face of that all-star game, to take the leap from year one to year two, which I'm not sure he did, especially early. There was a little bit of that sophomore slump. There was some swinging at pitches that he didn't need to be swinging at. They moved him down in the lineup. It wasn't the, you know, start to finish MVP campaign that I think we'd hoped Julio would have. Mm -hmm. And as great as July and August were, they were great. They were unbelievable. They were best player in baseball good. September was bad. And if he had had a better September, if he had had a better, more consistent season, the Mariners are probably in the playoffs last year, and all of the conversations around them are totally different. So for all of the, you know, complaints, understandable as they may be about the team building, Nothing would be better for them than Julio Rodriguez going out and just having a monster year. And yes, by all accounts, he is in crazy good shape. He's growing into his body. He's done with the sophomore slump. Mm -hmm. He's done with having the all-star game here. And all he wants to do is end that feeling of starvation, which I think sounds tremendous for the Mariners. I don't think he's got to necessarily do anything more than what he's shown us his ceiling could be. His ceiling was August where he was superhuman, superhuman, but he does have to grow in consistency mm-hmm. and he's going to have to do one more thing as he watched Patrick Mahomes deliver when it mattered. That was the biggest challenge in the yep. first half of last year, especially Salk time. And again, you were like, oh man, oh man, come on, Julio, come on, Julio. Come on, Julio. And then it got to a point where you're like, man, I don't want to see Julio up. And, and then there was even a game where somebody walked Julio, and then and you and I were both like, whoa, thank you, because the next guy in the lineup actually delivered in that moment. I think it was Suarez in that moment or somebody of that nature. That can't happen. Like, if you're going to be the face, and you are the face, and you are the most uber-talented guy on this roster, not a, you're not going to deliver in every moment. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have, you know, six great consistent months. That's not baseball and not against the elite pitching that you've got to face in baseball today. But when the moments rise yeah. and there is a September sulk or there or you got to be the stopper after a three game losing streak and you're up there in the night and you've just got to find a way like the great ones do, like most champions do, you got to find a, a way to deliver when it matters the most. And, and last year, when you really do look at the numbers, and Luke Arkins, you know, tweeted at me last week with those when we talked about Julio. I mean, there were some unbelievable mountaintops, yeah. but there's some pretty low valleys. And if that thing just levels off, and I hope, are we now to the point in year number three? Are we now to the point in year number three where we can have these conversations and don't have to hear from people, back off, he's young. Or even hear from Scott and, and Jerry who have to use that cover of being young. Mm-hmm. He's young, he's young. At year three now in the big leagues, is there enough at-bats? Are we getting near 1,000 at-bats where some of just that young conversation? Well, he's also, what, 23 this year? I mean, that's when a lot of players are coming to the game, et cetera. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone's going to call him young this year. This is, this is about the age where the truly elite players start to become elite, right? And that's, he knows what he needs to do to get there. He knows he's got to be more Is this the same, consistent. is yeah. he a guy or the guy <laughs> conversation? Is, is that what we're doing right now? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you had that list in baseball, passing was on with it's us so last week. It's so much harder in baseball to, to, to give me that distinction, though, is I it? think. I think it is. I mean, with quarterbacks, I think it's easy. What they do in those big moments, how they elevate the guys around them, all of that stuff, everything runs through them. In baseball, there feels to be so much of the like, yeah, did you happen to come up in the right spot? Did you happen to have men on base? Did you like there? There seems to be so much more dependence 
for me in baseball. But I guess what I would say is, can he carry the team at times the way he did in July and August when they really need him to? If he can do that again this year well, and be more consistent, yeah, you're looking at an MVP. Yeah, I would say uh, the one area there is a similarity is he's just got a skill set that others don't have. I was That's on a plane sure. the other day with one of my old teammates, and Titus and I were on the plane. He walked on, said, what's up, Big Walt? And uh, it was with Walter Jones and flying uh, together and, and got off the plane, was caught up with him. It was awesome. And I got to the car and I said to Titus, do you realize that that guy right there, one of the greatest left tackles to ever, ever play this game in a hundred years. And part of it was his skill set was so unbelievably so much better than everybody yeah. else. He had an athleticism at 330 pounds, all kind of strength and feet and balance and all these things that others don't have. A lot of guys that are 6'5", 330 pounds, there are very few that have ever, ever, ever played the game that could bend and move and run like Big Walt. And and then he did it for year after year after year. There are very few that are 6'3", 230 pounds and run and look like Julio Rodriguez. Very, very few on this planet. Very, very few in the history of the game that are of that size, of that speed, with that kind of skill set. So I think there is some ability to say, no, no, he is, he is one of those guys he is the guy he's built different and now he's just got to put together a complete consistent season and somehow some way take well, yet another step by all accounts that's what the offseason has been like by all accounts he's in the right headspace by all accounts he looks great can't wait to get down to spring training in a couple of weeks yep. and see julio and see what he so starts two weeks doing from today this year two, two weeks, weeks from today today that's two it? weeks from today oh my gosh we're gonna be down there two weeks from today from that, today that is gonna be awesome all right let's come back we'll give you everything you need to know including the big move the seahawks made over the weekend and then we'll give you some takeaways from last night's game coming up in 20 minutes it's brock and salk seattle sports on 710 seattlesports.com need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first hope everybody enjoyed the super bowl last night i think most folks around seattle were rooting for kansas city i certainly was and it was nice to see them find a way to drive another stake into the heart of both the niner franchise and their coach who all of a sudden has quite the reputation for blowing big games. That's now the third Super Bowl he's been a part of with at least a 10-point lead that he's ended up losing. So game kind of started off boring, but Patrick Mahomes did his thing late, and in overtime, he was the guy. First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! This was the Andy Reid special we talked about. He was saving all day. Stop. He's no, going to fake stop. a motion no, to go no, across. Listen. And at that moment, he turns and goes back. Hartman, who they didn't have, right? And they go get Hartman and bring him back. And the game-winning drive of Mahomes' career. He's been waiting for. He's won Super Bowls, but he's never had it in an overtime. He is the best. He is the standard. Your Michael Jordan wins it again. Could you last longer listening to that, Brock, or some of those Russ, oh, uh, oh. some of those Russ things? I was telling Justin off the air and, and Mora, doing both jobs. I, I've got the unbelievable privilege of doing both jobs. I get to be up in a booth on game day. Have been in some amazing moments, Salk. Really amazing moments and big bowl games and championship games and you know just big opportunities. And I do talk radio every morning with you. Uh, coming up on 15 years of it. Tony Romo's just talk radio, where he just starts talking, and he's really hoping a point's going to come. Come on. 
just please let me just he goes in motion and you know he it just can the can the just the in, in it's got to be the opposite and i'm not perfect and i know pete told me i talk too much as well on a broadcast and i certainly can but in that moment right there just let the moment be yeah. Jim Nance, an amazing call. Don't talk under it or over it. And then he sort of made like three different points. Yes, Whatever. It was a great play. It was really well designed. You could see it. My parents' immediate thought was, do you think Travis is upset that it didn't go to him in that moment? Mm. And on replay, I happen to notice he's the decoy, basically. Yeah. Right? Like, it looks like Mahomes has his choice. He can throw yep. it to either of them, depending on where the defense goes. They all went to Kelsey, understandably. He threw it to Hardman, and Kelsey's reaction immediately to put his hands in the air and to be incredibly Absolutely. Get to be a three-time, so. get to be a three-time Super Bowl champ. Go back-to-back -back first time in 20 years. Get a, a chance to three-peat. And that is just a beautiful picture as we talked to Mike McDonald a little over an hour about scheme, about the X's and the O's. Yes, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. You always hear that. Well, it's more important to have the Jimmy's and the Joe's than the X's and the O's. I don't know. McCall Hardman was cut. He's with the Jets in the preseason. He was a, a really nothing burger. You could put anybody into that position because with that scheme and that play and that pre-snap motion and what it did to just blow the wires and blow the leverage of that defense, he got to be the one to win it all. And he don't. I didn't. I don't think he even knew that that was the game winning no, touchdown. No, he said he didn't, which is <laughs> yes. sad and it's all right. Oh, oh, okay, next. <laughs> next. He doesn't run next. Through. Is it a tick late? Push. Okay. Is this the Apple Cup? With the Here's the second thing you need to know. Definitely not perfect. Nope. No one is. No one's perfect. No one heard that. Don't worry about it. No. Well, the Seahawks have found themselves their offensive coordinator. What do you make of the fact it was actually the first name we heard, Ryan Grubb, and that it wasn't until a couple weeks later that they came back to him? If there's one thing I take out of it, is they're getting the guys they want, right? This is who they targeted. That's who they got. They went mm -hmm. through their process. They have seemed to not have any issues this whole cycle with losing out on people they wanted going elsewhere. Well, I keep thinking about what Joel Klatt talked about with us last week when you make this hire your first time head coach Mike McDonald first time head coach first time going through this interviewing all of these coaches and everything else and who do I want to surround myself with Salk you better than align philosophically with what you believe in and what I have said for 30 days it feels like since we started talking about coach Grubb is what he brings to the equation is a line of scrimmage mindset don't be deceived by the numbers that they throw 61% of the time and they're pass first and all this stuff and all the huge explosive numbers the Penix and crew put up. He is an O-line guy. It's where he cut his teeth, coaching the offensive line, knowing how important those five guys are. They're half the personnel on offense and they've got to be right to set the table for anything else you want to do. I kind of like that in the end, Mike McDonald aligned himself with a guy that understands how powerful the line of scrimmage needs to be. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, we just had a little Mariner conversation, and they're going to be reporting pitchers and catchers in just two days. Position players will be right behind them, and as Brock mentioned, we'll be down there for our week at spring training two weeks from today. There are still a few big-name free agents out there. Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, 
I still think those are the best fits. Brock, I know you're talking talking pitching. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to see that happening. I just, you know, the team seems to have said all along that they're just not in on the local kid. They just don't want to go in that direction. And why don't they like Blake Snell? I think it's just not their style of pitcher. It's not that right. he's not a great one. He's just not their style. He's Walks not a, a pitch, lot of guys. Efficiency guy, right? He's not an efficient guy. Not an efficient guy. No. The and the numbers are going to be off the charts. And you're going to yeah. pay, and, and I totally understand that with Blake Snell. I realize that that's outside the realm of logic and reason because you've got to keep a kitty for Logan and for George. Those are your guys. Yeah, and, and I think there's also just a belief that the other guy, Jordan Montgomery, good good pitcher, mm-hmm. but probably never going to be better than he was over the last couple of months of last season, yep. and that that's sort of not who he is in general. So if you put those two things together, they're sort of the two pitchers that are out there. Mm-hmm. Then you're left with the bats. And do I think Matt Chapman's perfect? No. Flat no. You know that. I've said it over and over again. I've never been a huge fan of his game. But he's a really good defensive player. And yeah. say what you want. That yep. is where the hole is on this Mariner team right now. Yes. And if you look at those and he's next, an upgrade. And if you look at those next level metrics, by the way, of JP, and you can debate those things all you want, it was pretty clear that when he goes to his right. Yep into the hole there's a challenge yep compared to just his elite peers at the position so if you were to have an absolute vacuum that that matt chapman is at third base to handle some of that could he even make jp better right is there is that yet another thing if you want to add to the debate of bringing him in sure don't look at the you know solely the offensive numbers but realize the impact that that makes for your pitchers for jp for that whole team once again, from the inside out. All right, that's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour. Uh, I won't give his name because I think it's uh, a little uh, unfair to do so. So I'm going to quote somebody without giving their name. Maybe he'd prefer it if I do. I don't know. But he described that as a position of, quote, vulnerability. And I thought that was a really nice way of, of looking at their third mm-hmm. base spot right now. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's necessarily bad, and Rojas can play defense there, and he's been around, and he gets it. Yep. He's actually played more third than second, and Urias has had some moments where he hits pretty well. But it's a position of they're vulnerable. There. Yeah, I like that. I think that's totally fair. I think you frame that totally appropriately. And you know what? You're not going to have nine positions, kind of like a football team, no matter what decisions they make in the draft and free agency. There's going to be areas on every team that have some vulnerability. And yeah, besides injury, I I still would put that number one for this Mariners team. That whole if healthy, if healthy, if healthy, that vulnerability of health. I'd put that one, but yeah, third base is certainly, from a positional standpoint, a talking point, no question. All right, coming up next, some takeaways from last night. Was it a great game? Yeah. Elite? Probably not, but maybe that notch right below. That was a really good football game, certainly at the end, and we noticed quite a few interesting things in and around it. That's next on Brock and Salk. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, it was a... It was a memorable Super Bowl, I think, in general. I don't know whether there was, like, one moment that I will remember forever yesterday, Brock, but it was a good game. It was entertaining. Certainly the second half, we had a whole bunch of observations. Let's get to some takeaways. Takeaways. What's up? What's up? What's up? We're never going to have a commercial like that again. What is happening? 
I was just doing. Here. I was just doing the What's Up commercial. Were like you? Twenty five years ago. What's up? Yo, Duke. I think that the bar is just unrealistically set. And every year we're going to say the commercials are just a little disappointing. We're just going to do it. I thought they were pretty good. I thought they were good. I thought they were good. But they're just, you know, I think we have some false memories of how unbelievably elite and great Bud was. Right. Right. And just those that stuck. And they did stick. Those commercials have stuck for decades. I don't know if any of these are going to stick in that same manner. Kind of the way you frame the game. Like, I don't know, 20 years from now, if I'm going to remember Jerry, you know, uh, Montana to, to John Taylor for a touch shot. I don't know if I'm going to remember a Percy Harvin kickoff to begin the second half. I don't know if I'm going to remember, like, what play right. this I'm going to remember. And while they were good commercials, the dunking was a good commercial, and that was about it. Um, that was uh, actually, it? Oh, come oh, no, on. I like the Bud, good ones. I like the Bud Light little genie commercial. I like the Flying Ravens and Seahawks and Eagles. That got me a little chuckle. They I like that after the Bud Light genie commercial, they showed him in the crowd. Right. In the he booth, was right in the there. Suite. Yeah. Oh, he was up in the suite. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. I thought there were a few good ones. I thought Jennifer Aniston uh, was funny with David Schwimmer. Yes. Oh, who are you? I don't remember you. That was yeah. pretty good. I thought the Beyonce commercial How many was people good. screamed Ross at their TV? How many? I, I, 50 million? Hopefully none. It's Ross. <laughs> Hopefully nobody did that. What uh, did you like the Arnold Schwarzenegger one? I love I that. Did, I thought that was great. I did. Of course I did. We play get to the choppa every to single day on this show. How could you neighbor. say that that was weak? My neighbor. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. I had no issues with the commercials at all. You're right. They're maybe not elite the way we once used to think of them, but I thought they were in general pretty darn good. I had no and is there going to be a new Wizard of Oz movie? Was that like well, a that's commercial? Wicked. They're What's making it? Wicked. Ah, oh, Wicked. Gotcha. Yeah. What about the new Twisters movie, you guys? Wow. Daring that. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. Why are they... <laughs> Just adding an we... S to it and make a new movie? Like, Is that something we needed? Were the commercials help me understand this? If we have a TV executive out there? Yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 20... Is when we were kids growing up. Did each of these networks use their platform to promote their shows? Yes. And, like, their network as much then as they do now? Yeah. That's you why so? you have the Super Bowl, isn't it? I mean, it is. I just don't... I don't know. I think it's just that the shows that are on network TV are now so bad. So bad. That, I mean, so bad. the whole idea of network television has changed so drastically since then. True. Yeah. Chopper. Takeaways. Uh, I thought there were some odd calls in that game. It wasn't like last year when the refs spoiled the game at the end by making an absolutely ridiculous call that completely changed the outcome of the game. Mm. It wasn't like that. And I thought Bill mm -hmm. Vinovich's crew, not that they were awful, they mostly stayed out of the way, but it did seem like they made some very strange calls. The grounding call on Patrick Mahomes, that's not grounding. There's a guy right there. There was, but the ball didn't get to the line of scrimmage. But there was a guy right there. It doesn't matter if it gets to the line of yeah, scrimmage. Yeah, he was within range. He was within he range. He was like five yards away. Yeah, he was within range. That was absolutely a – I thought that was a horrendous call. It didn't really end up affecting the game, mm -hmm. but horrendous. The spot a couple of times seemed way off. Mm. And for both teams, it's not like it felt like it was biased or anything no. like that. Just like, yeah, that's not where that ball should be spotted. And they yep. seemed like they were off by almost a yard. Yep. I don't know why Andy Reid didn't challenge that one. That's his own problem. But mm -hmm. I just – it felt like they were sort of off a little bit throughout the game. Oh, interesting. And then at the end – 
I would really, really wanted to be mad about the defensive holding call on third and long, mm-hmm. but I couldn't be. No, that was holding. That was that was holding. I mm-hmm. really wanted to be mad. I really wanted to say it's ridiculous yes. and that stuff ruins the game and it's a bailout on third down and long. But it was so blatant. But it was so blatant. I mean, you did, choice. You did you notice? Out. By the way, I, I don't know if you could notice this. If you weren't looking for it, you may not have. So not only do you have all of the referees out there, Salk, did you notice how many times there were referees on the sidelines that ran yeah. out of the field? I mean, it was it was a well-equipped, and you know New York is dialed in, mm-hmm. and they're on that headset with Vinovich, and they're making sure, like, so quickly, so rapidly, that we have so many resources being thrown at this. It's not like the USFL where you've got, you know, a, a judge in the overhead that's watching in, in you know, that, that present – but behind the scenes, they were, and they are. <laughs> and there were a lot of officials and a lot of referees and really good ones. You, you recognize the faces of a bunch of these other white hats that were there on the sideline, running on the field, breaking guys up or, or communicating or making sure that game moved along. Man, they threw the whole artillery at it from an officiating standpoint. Takeaways. Shanahan's going to be kicking himself about his first six play calls of the second half. You can't throw it six or eight times. You yeah, can't. it seemed like after what McCaffrey did early On that opening and then drive. again in overtime, like Correct. just keep feeding him the ball. Yeah, you've got to you've got to find ways to, to run the ball more effectively. You're gonna you're going to kick yourself. And this isn't just because more the- needed 90 and a half yards out of Christian McCaffrey. And on the opening quarter, <laughs> no, opening drive, he's on his pace right. to 200. Were there were there penalties in there? Because it did seem like they got behind the sticks a bunch. And that kind of there affected been their ability to give yes. the ball to McCaffrey. There could have been. It's yeah, like, oh, been they've some. jumped off sides sure. again or a holding yep. call. Like, it yep. seemed like they wanted to get him the ball more and couldn't because of those down. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But if there's anything that Kyle would look back on and kick himself just a little bit about from a play calling, like what he can really control. And I know the narrative is, hey, man, 10-point lead in all three Super Bowls, he's lost them all. Let's be clear. He lost them to Tom Brady and Mahomes twice. I mean, he, he didn't Also, lose a 10-point lead in the second quarter doesn't mean squat. Nothing. Nothing. That doesn't mean squat. Sorry. Nothing. The the 28-3, yes. The 10-point lead in the second quarter? Get out of here. It was a one-score game at halftime. That's yep. dumb. Yep. Takeaways. All right, what did you make of the performances in and around the game, Brock? Starting with before the game, I'm afraid I didn't know the woman who was who who sang the first song. But then it was uh, was it Reba McIntyre? It was Reba. What'd you make of Reba? Very solid. It was okay. Moved it along. Yeah, she moved it along. It was she didn't make it about Reba. It was fine. Yeah, I'm not a big Post Malone fan. I thought that was kind of weak. Yeah. So I didn't really like any of the pregame performances yeah. all that much. You know what I yeah. did like? Do you like his silver teeth? Uh, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the Maui football captains and coaches out there. That was pretty neat. I thought that was really, that was really well, done. well done. I yeah. totally agree. And then for halftime, really good. Like, no complaints. I thought Usher was great. First few songs weren't necessarily, as you said, Brock, they started off a little slow, not necessarily my style. Yeah. But once Alicia Keys came out there and then mm-hmm. Lil John, and obviously Luda, like, that was awesome. Kind of like the L.A. show, but for millennials. Yeah. Instead yeah, just, of Gen X. Just a little slow. Just the songs were actually a little bit slow. Hard yeah. To, but he's kinda, talented. Kind of like the first half. Just all. It, it just played. It was unfortunate. 
because the first half was so slow. It was like, yeah. oh, slow, 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 slow. What do you think Usher's... Is he middle-aged? He's 45? Is he, is he middle-aged? Yeah, he's my age. What do you think his daily workout regimen looks like? He's pretty rocked up. He looked pretty good. He looked incredible. Yeah, he looked pretty darn good. How much do you think he does it? Like, how much time do you think he spends working out every day? Yeah. I think, he's always, I think he's always looked good. I think he's got some good genetics on his side. I think he's always been a pretty fit dude. And, you know, say what you want about the sound and the music and the lip sync and everything else. That dude can dance. He can and dance. He was, he was burning he some calories sing. dancing. You see him sweating. Yoked up. Can roller he skate. did the roller skating thing, which was uh-huh. pretty cool. And he got Luda, which was awesome. So I uh, I would give it a B plus. A B plus, maybe an A minus. Justin. For the show. I'm going A. 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 a? Oh, oh, I couldn't find anything wrong with it. There. Oh, come on. Sounds <laughs> Had everything. Yeah, sounds bad. Sound mixed. <laughs> I thought bad. I could barely hear Reba. I thought that Correct. was wasn't uh wasn't the best performance of that. I'd give it a B plus. Yeah. yeah. As usual, Mora and I agree. Ew. <laughs> what do you mean ew? <laughs> Why do you have to say ew? Mora's got the ick. Mora. That is Takeaways. So when you were out, Salk, I forget. Oh, get get, get off my chest! I had to get some stuff off my chest. Was and then you, you complained about Taylor Swift, and you attacked my, you know, my whole thing. Yeah, for good reason. Now this isn't about even Taylor and the shots they showed of her, whatever. I didn't think it was too overdone. Did that bother you in any way yesterday? No, no, I would it, hope it, not. No, she was just there watching and having fun. I thought that was great. But you come to a point with a a character in WWE. Yes. And you're like, okay, that's that's gotten old. Yes. And usually it's why like Hulk Hogan then has to turn into a heel or why, you know, like there's there's character turns. And when Kelsey was up on the set, I'm like, oh please. That was you awful. Know, do we have to do we just have Did and you, you think s- Taylor looked embarrassed? Embarrassed? Not embarrassed. I thought she looked horrified. Like, oh my god, what is this idiot doing up there? Why is we be fighting for all right oh. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva! Viva Las Vegas! Oh, man. So you understand where I felt like then it was manufactured. And to see him on set and then Jim Nance have to lead him to... I know. I think you got to fight for your... But but all of that to me was meant... Like, that's just Kelsey being who he's always been. Uh And he's just kind of managed to tone it down a little bit this year. And and we've Mm. seen another side of him. But then that side came back out and I was reminded of all the reasons I couldn't stand him. And the Nance, that's just Jim Nance trying to be I know, I know. Ugh. You're a big Kelsey guy, right, Justin? Don't you love Kelsey as much as anybody in the league? Oh, please. Justin doesn't like him, even though he's like him. No, that's not true. <laughs> yes, it I is. I don't, I don't jump between nine different personalities, depending on what room I'm in. No, but does. the look at me element is very similar. Justin is the most likable, kind, <laughs> could get along with anybody on planet Earth. <laughs> right. But I think if he was with Kelsey for like an hour, he'd be sickened. I don't think I can handle it. Ugh, this is enough. Well, we, have an we have Both an experience full on. Suits full-on Justin in a bright yellow suit right. carrying a big fake check into a bar. Like, we right. don't we know that not. he's always so likable. That's why I think absolutely well, Justin and Kelsey get along just If fine. you guys would like to come to, come to our trip next weekend, you can experience exactly what you just said, more. No, I cringed enough watching Kelsey yesterday. I don't need to see you do it, too. 
Takeaways. Funny. Uh, well, the big, big, uh, you know, moment that everybody, the, the, the closest we can come to controversy from this game is the decision made by Kyle Shanahan to mm-hmm. take the ball to start of overtime. Yeah. I don't think this rises to the level of some of the great debates that are had, some of the great second-guessing moments. To me, this feels a little bit like we're trying to manufacture one. Mm -hmm. If he had said afterwards, hey, my guys were tired, we thought that that will kind of tip the scales, then I would be a lot more willing to say, all right, I totally get what he's doing. I do think he made a mistake, not by a lot, but here's why couple of reasons. Can I One, hear him, by the way? We played this yes. you need to know. Can I hear cut yeah, three from me, Justin? This is something we talked about with none of us have a ton of experience of it, but we went through all the analytics and talked with those guys, and we just thought it'd be better. We wanted the ball third. The both teams matched and scored. We wanted to be the ones who had the chance to go win and got that field goal, so we knew we had to hold them to at least a field goal. And if we did, then we thought it was in our hands after that. Yeah. Yeah, so in the event of field goal, field goal, He's absolutely right. They have the advantage because then they just need a third field goal to win. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, he's right. But I think that's the only scenario in which it's better for him. If you don't score on the first possession, then the other team only needs a field goal. If you score a a touchdown, if you score a field goal on the first possession, the other team knows that they can go for it on fourth down every single time and Mm -hmm. have to. And if you score a touchdown on your first possession, while that does give you some obvious advantages, it also gives the other team, A, the ability to go for it on fourth down, and then B, the ability to go for it on for to go for two if they do score a touchdown so that you never get an opportunity to have that third possession. Yeah. So the only way you're going to get a third possession is if nobody scores, unlikely with Patrick Mahomes, or if you both kick field goals, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like an a, like a like one that you should be playing for. But but the game kind of was that way. I mean, it was a field goal game. I mean, most of the scoring was field like so. You could have said that and and again use that after the As game. I said, said, yeah, two, yeah, and said twofold. Like, hey man, we were gassed. I think it was the right move because of his team being tired, Mm -hmm. because of his defense having just been on the field for an 11-play drive. To throw them right back out there against Patrick Mahomes, I think, would have been a mistake. And to put his team, there's the last point I would make in his favor, his team's not a come-from-behind team. Mm -mm. They are better putting pressure on you than trying to come from behind. Although they so, did it twice in the playoffs. I mean, although they just did it against Green Bay, they just did it against Detroit. You know, I mean, there's all these factors. It's why you can't just kill them. Anybody just taking that side and just killing that, there are so many ingredients them. that went into that soup. Do you think, do you like the answer of that's what the analytics said? Not really. It felt a little scapegoating. Not really. Like, I don't know, the Brainiacs over here told me to, yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. Like, it's yeah. still your call. Yep. You got to make it. Takeaways. I know who's not going to get talked about enough in this game. It's going to be Mahomes. It's going to be Andy Reid. It's going to be Corn Dog. It's going to be all that stuff. And Chris Jones, I don't know how much he showed up on the official stat sheet because pressures don't show up on the official stat seat sheet. Salk. It's tackles for lost sacks, mm-hmm. tackles. But that dude was a monster. 
And uh, Tony Roma did do a good job, and I thought their production team did do a good job of showing, like, hey, man, this is what he did to Josh Allen. This took a touchdown off the board, getting into his face and impacting that throw and the number of times that it may not show on the stat sheet, but that dude is a difference maker. And him getting into little Brock Purdy's face and bumping him and getting his lineman into his face took away little, little Brock Purdy. He is little. I know, but you don't have to nickname him that. Oh, okay, I apologize. Sorry. Brock Purdy. <laughs> Jeez. And, and then your guy wearing a number in the 60s. Who is, who is Mike, Mike Linnell? Pennell? Who is he? Mike Linnell's been in the league for a long time. Not Linnell. Pennell. Don't worry. <laughs> what? Don't Pennell. Don't make, what? It's not, it's not Linnell Richie. Okay? What? It's Mike Pennell. <laughs> Mike Pennell. Yes. He's been in the game for like <laughs> over a decade. Yes. He's huge, massive human being. Yeah, he could not be blocked in one-on-one situations. Chris Jones took on double teams. So, again, if you want to talk about team build and how does this affect the Seahawks and, you know, what can we learn from this game? Yeah, the line of scrimmage matters. Line of scrimmage matters. In the interior of the Chiefs' offensive line, pretty darn good. And uh, that group and the impact that that all of them made in that front seven, Tranquil's a free agent. That guy's really intriguing to me. Right, Chanel made a difference. The Greek freak made a difference, but nobody made a bigger difference than Chris Jones. Even if it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, that dude was a difference maker. Takeaways. Just uh, one more sort of could they have done it differently? I like Linnell better than Pennell, by the way. Yeah, I know. Maybe, I was just thinking of the guy Linnell fills in with us. That's yeah. part where that came from. Yeah. Um, because you figure this guy's got as deep a voice as Linnell. He looked like he would. He, yeah. <laughs> he looks like he has a very deep voice. There's no doubt about that. What um, did you think there was any chance for Shanahan to go for it on fourth down and overtime? Mm. So the way it went down, right? They marched down the field after the kind of the the third down holding call. They got mm-hmm. down the field. They got inside the twenty yard line with the McCaffrey run, right? Yep. And then it was second and I want. I think it was second and four. And they got a stop on McCaffrey. That was Pinnell. Mm-hmm. And then it was the Chris Jones deflection where he came running in. And, or I don't know if he deflected or he not. He didn't deflect it. He just totally disrupted the play. He disrupted the play yes. and made it impossible for them to get. So now all of a sudden. Because that was going to be a completion, if not a touchdown. Now yeah. it's fourth and four from the nine. Right. Did you think there was any chance he should go for it? I don't. The only reason I would make the argument that he should, and you know me, I'm not a big go for it on fourth down guy. Yep is if you don't get it, you're at least forcing them deep into the field. I think if it had been fourth and goal from the four, he should have gone for it. But at the nine-yard line, mm-hmm. for a 15-yard difference off of a kick, I don't know that it's really that I don't know good. if you can do that because then all yeah. Mahomes needs is 50 yards for right. a goal. Agreed. Then, then Would you no. have gone for it fourth and goal from the four? I don't I think I'm taking points and trusting my defense and my defensive line. Right, I think I'm, and I know that's impossible because here's Jordan. He's going to just make something happen. But I think at that point, I've got to put some trust and belief in my defense. Now, the counter to that is, yeah, you're right. So you go for it and, and put the ball at the four yard line and empower your defense more. And mm-hmm. he's going to be staring at the goal line and that's yeah. going to have an impact. You know, all of these things. That's why analytics are hard in football because there are so many factors that do go into that when you really start peeling that onion. It's not one layer of it. You got to continue to dig and dig and but dig. But that ended dig. up being a pretty huge two-down sequence. What they did on second and third down there, inside the ten-yard line, yes. probably won them. The yeah, game. you know what I would have done? 
on that call, I would have made sure I had a double team on Chris Jones. <laughs> well, Truly. if you watch the film of the of that play, the right tackle blocked nobody, and the right guard double teamed someone on the to the yeah. left of him. Yeah. I mean, just a total mess. Yeah, would not have done that. I would have found a way to double team that difference maker who made a huge, huge play. Takeaways. All right, I'll use my last little takeaway, and we discussed this uh, a little bit last hour. But if you heard one word from Tony Romo, you heard it 50 times, and that was leverage. He was going to make sure he explained leverage throughout the course of he's that. Got a, now, if you look here, Brock, he's got outside leverage. Yep, yep, a lot of leverage, a lot of leverage conversations, and a lot of pre-snap motions and shifts by both teams. Andy Reid and Shanahan are two of the best in all the game, and, and as much as we all crown Kyle Shanahan as one of the best play callers and everything else, my goodness gracious, it's kind of like Pete Carroll not winning the coach of the year ever. Like, we just don't give Andy Reid enough credit. And Andy Reid is the play caller. His quarterback gives him a ton of credit, and he should, because that last little play to McCole Hardman was a picture-perfect, that's-how-pre-snap motion impacts a game. And when you hire Ryan Grubb, you don't hire a guy. You know, you can look at this one of two ways. Well, he throws it 67% of the time. I mean, look at the numbers. It's what he does. Even at Fresno State, he throws it an awful lot. He's going to just come in here and try to throw the ball. Or you could say, no, he's going to be creative. He's going to be innovative. And he's going to move and shift more before the snap than we've ever seen in Seahawk history. He was top five in the country in college football in pre-snap motions and movements and shifts. And you're going to see a lot of it here because it creates a lot of leverage and matchup opportunities. Do you like Tony in the game? Do you think he did a good job? I thought he was toned down a little bit. He was. I thought the booth shot was hilarious. You know, they used a camera there, Salk, to show, like, the whole booth, and he showed the big TV monitor in front of him and Jim, and they sat him down. I did laugh at one time when they showed poor Gene Steratore, and he looked bored to death up there. Like, he's, he's <laughs> turning man off to the side. I like when they showed Bill Vinovich, the ref, with the kid who had won the Special Olympics thing. Yes. And Vinovich looks so stiff and uncomfortable very standing mo- next Very to him. in mode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Yes. For some reason, uh, that made me laugh out loud. I thought Tony seemed a little sedated. He wasn't his mm-hmm. usual insane self. But when you hear that yep. call of, of the final score, it's terrible. I mean, yes. first he talks over Jim and sort of mumbles <sighs> something during the call. <sighs> Then he's like loses focus on the play and starts talking yeah. about how they caught or got Nicole Hardman back, which while I understand is part of the storyline, really probably need to either like explain it or not talk about it. It's really the whole thing is such a mess. I don't understand how he's in that job. All right, let's take a quick break, Brock. Uh, We'll come right back and start thinking about how all of this affects the Seahawks and their new head coach, Mike McDonald, who's going to join us a little over a half hour from now. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.